Well, good morning, saints. Morning, sinners. And you get the award. Choir, I just got to say, wow. I mean, and you guys, I'm including you in it too. I mean, everybody, you just, what a great voice. Makes me happy. Turn in your Bible to, uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Uh, as you're turning there, let me kind of set this up just a little bit for you. Um, our New Testament reading on this uh, second Sunday of Lent on our journey to the cross in Easter is a wonderful text to hear, not because all of you are probably familiar with it, but because it is really a primer for Christianity 101 that all of us need reminding about. There are three primary characters in the story that we will encounter today. And I want just to kind of lift them up so you can be prepared. The first is the character Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, the religious equivalent of a Jewish PhD in religious studies, who spent his life studying the Torah, the law, and its fine points. And he was skilled at teaching others what the law was really about. Second, we have the character Jesus. And then third, though the character is not specifically named, the way it is written in the story, well, the third character is you and me. You see, Jesus goes from speaking first person you to Nicodemus in verse 10 to speaking to all of us in verse 11 and following with a plural y'all. That's, so I'm going to say y'all so y'all can get the difference because he is including us in the story. John the author is having Jesus include you and me. So we need to listen carefully because Jesus just didn't preach it. He's speaking to us as well. Listen, beloved, to this well-known scripture, John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, leader of the Jews. And he came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from God. And Jesus answered him, Truly, 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 I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, 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 I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, Nicodemus, 
You must be born from above. You see, the wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, but how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? And now John has a shift. Jesus lifts his face and looks at you and me. Truly, 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 I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet y'all do not receive our testimony. If I would have told y'all about earthly things and you do not believe, how can y'all believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, as it says in Numbers 21, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. My friends, this is the great news of the gospel. Thanks be to God. All righty. Lesson number one in Christianity 101 that we're going to glean from our story this morning. The first lesson in Christianity 101 is this. Jesus can ill afford hidden followers and disciples. Okay? Jesus can ill afford hidden followers and disciples. John immediately gets two facts right out there in front of us at first. First, that Nicodemus is a prominent religious scholar, but also that Nicodemus was afraid to publicly show his faith in Jesus. We're told that he came at nighttime to see Jesus. Now, in, 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 in the New Testament, things that happen at nighttime are typically nefarious and not very good. And this is when Nicodemus was coming. Nicodemus came at night. He came when the streets were clear. He came when he wouldn't be noticed. Nicodemus came when everyone else was winding their day down, preparing for bed. Nicodemus came in secret, making sure his reputation would not get sullied. Nicodemus came to Jesus when it was convenient for him to do so. Well, bless Nicodemus's heart. And I mean that in the southern way. I really, really want to cheer him on. I want to say, go Nicodemus, but his late night skulking about trying to get to know Jesus just doesn't come across very well. But fortunately in John's story, Nicodemus' behavior evolves 
in the Gospel of John. He shows up two more time in, times in John's Gospel, and he moves from being there in the nighttime to being much more in the daylight and open about his faith. But the unfortunate reality our story reminds us of is that church today is full of a lot of followers like Nicodemus. Sadly, it's always been that way. Early church reformer John Calvin back in the 16th century referred to those Christians who said, oh, I believe in the Protestant Reformation, but they didn't really live like they did. Well, he called those people, and it wasn't a very nice term, you Nicodemites. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be called a Nicodemite, would you? Well, he did. It was not a very nice term. You see, they were reluctant to proclaim the reforms of the gospel that the reformers are trying to get across, like grace alone, faith alone. They were closet Christians. That's what Nicodemites are, closet Christians. You could not recognize them as Christians unless they put on a sandwich board and walked downtown that indicated they were. The church today, beloved, can ill afford to have nighttime hiding in the shadow followers of Jesus. We have to be out in the daylight. The first lesson is, folks, we have to be in the light, showing, living our faith. It forces you and me, beloved, this text, is my faith out in the open daylight where others can see it and can observe what I believe in my daily living or not? Can people even tell I'm a follower of Jesus? There you go. Am I a nighttime follower of Jesus like Nicodemus? Or do I live my faith out in the light? But let's... Christianity 101, Lesson 1. Lesson 2 in Christianity 101. The work of our salvation is God's initiative, not ours. The work of our salvation is God's initiative, not ours. And we pick that up in verse 3. Salvation is just like the communion supper we're going to have in a little bit. It's a gift given to us. Verse 3 is too often translated as born again, when the same word also means to be born anew or born from above. And the latter two definitions better fit the table talk Jesus and Nicodemus are having. Eugene Peterson translates verse 3 in his message scripture saying, unless a person is born from above, it is not possible for them to see that I, Jesus, am pointing to God's kingdom. Western Christianity, my beloved, has pushed belief for a long time that if you and I simply mentally ascend or consent and acknowledge good doctrine, and that Jesus is God's Son, then we earn eternal life. In other words, think about this. Let's slow that tape down a little bit. If we, if we think we are in control of our eternal life, 
then my eternal destiny, your eternal destiny, rests upon my saying or your saying yes or no in believing Jesus. If our salvation and destiny are all up to our individual decisions, then why did Jesus have to come in the first place? Why did he have to die and rise again if all that's required for eternal life is for you and me to say, I believe, or not? That's a lot of power to give ourselves, isn't it? Frankly, we don't have that power. Jesus tells this religious scholar that it's not following the little nitnoids of the Jewish law that earn you love from God. Uh uh-uh. uh. God's love is already out there and is presented to us, it's sitting there, it's just waiting to be picked up. All Nicodemus has to do is Nicodemus. You're an open vessel. Open yourself up and God will pour. Pour His Spirit into you. You don't have to earn it. Just open the vessel. Think of it like this. Back in high school, when I was these young men's age, in middle school, early high school, I was really shy. I was scared to death of girls. I really was. They, they, they just scared me. I'd, I'd look at them. I couldn't talk. I'd just get sweaty in my hands. And imagine, see, sa- salvation is like this. Think of it this way. You are, one, you are like me, a shy, timid guy at a dance in the school gym. And the wall is surrounded and rung by shy, timid boys and girls. It's kind of doing this. You know, I want, uh, uh, gee, uh. I, I, I want to talk to you, but uh-uh, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I, you know, I get, I get sick. Oh, my goodness. Well, salvation is like this. You and I may be timid and ringing the walls of the high school gym, afraid to talk to anybody. We don't have what it takes inside to talk to anybody. But Jesus, <laughs> Jesus takes the initiative and comes up to you. holds his hand out and says, Beloved, I've been waiting for this chance to dance with just you. Let's tear it up. It's a gift extended to you, to me. And this leads me to the third lesson our text teaches. Christianity 101, lesson three is this. God is both, the kingdom of God, that is salvation, is both a present reality as well as a future expectation. Jesus speaks of salvation in the present tense, if you'll notice this in the Gospels. We tend to associate eternal life as that which happens to us after we die. We forget that eternal life is a present and a future reality at the same time. It starts now and continues into the future. In John's Gospel, 
The word faith is a verb. It is not a noun. In John's gospel, the the word faith is a verb, not a noun. And that makes a huge difference. You see, a noun, faith as a noun would mean it's something that I can possess. It's a thing I can grab. As a verb, it means pledging fidelity and loyal to someone or something that requires present tense action and effort and demonstration that I am committed to it. It's active. It's living. It's organic. Faith is a verb. For example, last night I did a wedding um, here in the chancel, and when the couple who was standing here in the chancel looking at each other, they had to pledge their loyalty and fidelity to each other at that moment. It wasn't a promise, I'm going to love you and hold you and all that in the future sometime. No, it begins now. It begins this minute. It signified that at that moment forward, they were living a brand new life. It signified that they were no longer going to date other people but pour everything into this new relationship called marriage. Their lives were now bound together, and when something happens to one, it immediately affects the other. This is what faith means, beloved. It means living devotedly to another, reciprocating love for the other. And that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. That's what he's telling you and me. We show fidelity and fealty to Jesus. We are reciprocating the love he initiated in us and we're giving it back. Spiritually, it means Nicodemus, you and I, or Nicodemus, you're going to take all the religious stuff you know, all the books that you have studied and learned, and you're going to pack all that up in your brain and put it aside. And instead, I want you to hold my hand. And let's go on an adventure together. That's salvation in the present moment. Another way our text teaches us that salvation is a present reality is the word salvation itself. For too long, the church, when it said salvation, has equated that with not going to hell. It's a time, my friends, we reclaim the larger meaning. The word Jesus uses for salvation can mean rescued from adversity, but it also means, and this is the big one, for a person, for an entity, or thing to be healed, restored, and made whole and complete once more. It has almost a medicinal turn to it. When we understand salvation this way, we hear Jesus' words as, God did not send the Son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be restored to its pre-fallen state, that the world and people in it would be healed and made whole again. This 
you see, is what the reference to Moses in the wilderness means in our story from Numbers 21. You see, if you don't know the story, Moses, when the Hebrews were out in the wilderness, they had a problem with snakes. We have a problem with rats running up and down our hall we can't get rid of. Well, the, the Hebrews had a problem with snakes, and they were biting the people, and the people were dying. And naturally, they got upset, and they talked to God about this. God, we're getting bit by snakes and dying down here. So God said, fine. Moses, I want you to make a staff in the, in the image of a bronze snake so that when you get bit, you immediately look at that staff of a snake and you're going to be healed. Not later, but right then, when you looked at that staff Moses was holding, you'd be healed. It was a present reality. For Nicodemus, for you, for me, healing, wholeness, restoration all occur now, in the present moment. Beloved, when we pledge fidelity to Jesus and walk in a way that demonstrates our fealty to Him, our healing and restoration immediately begins to occur. Our becoming whole and complete, restored, women and men of God that God dreams us to become occurs at that moment. Not when we're dead. At that moment. This morning we come to the Lord's table and it's a tangible reminder, the table is, of the three basic lessons we learned this morning in Christianity 101. First, the table demands that we publicly partake of the meal together. There is no private communion in the Reformed understanding. It's a communal act. We publicly come to the table together. Secondly, it reminds us that the gift of our healing, our wholeness, our restoration is a gift given to us by Jesus when he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And finally, we take the nutrients of this meal, this food, and we live our fidelity out to Jesus in the world. We go out and bring healing, restoration, and wholeness, maybe even to our own family. Maybe to your neighbor that you can't stand. Maybe your business colleague or competitor. Maybe the faceless, broken ones you pass by in the street. Maybe, maybe, and even healing and restoration for this home that we call earth. Beloved, in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, let us remember these lessons. Amen. Pray with me. Spirit, Help us to live our faith in the light, in the daytime, where people can see it. Spirit, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would impress upon us that salvation, eternal life, is now. We pray, Spirit, that you remind us it means we're whole again.
We are restored. And you want to dance with us. Come, Jesus. Amen.